Part thirteen of Acres of Diamonds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Acres of Diamonds by Russell H. Conwell. Part thirteen. Fifty years on the lecture platform by Russell H. Conwell. An autobiography. What an absurd request. If all of the conditions were favorable, the story of my public life could not be made interesting. It does not seem possible that any will care to read so plain and uneventful a tale. I see nothing in it for boasting, nor much that could be helpful. Then I never saved a scrap of paper intentionally concerning my work to which I could refer. Not a book, not a sermon, not a lecture, not a newspaper notice or account, not a magazine article, not one of the kind biographies written from time to time by noble friends have I ever kept as a souvenir although some of them may be in my library. I have ever felt that the writers concerning my life were too generous and that my own work was too hastily done. Hence, I have nothing upon which to base an autobiographical account except the recollections of which come to an overburdened mind. My general view of half a century on the lecture platforms brings me to this precious and beautiful memories and fills my soul with devout gratitude for the blessings and kindness which have been given to me so far, beyond my deserts. So much more success has come to my hands than I ever expected. So much more of good I have found than even youth's wildest dreams included. So much more effective have I been at my weakest endeavors than I ever planned or hoped, that a biography written truthfully would be mostly an account of what men and women have done for me. I have lived to see accomplished far more than my highest ambition included. I have seen the enterprises I have undertaken rush by me, pushed on by a thousand strong hands until they have left me so far behind them. The realities are like dreams to me, blessings on the loving hearts and noble minds who have been so willing to sacrifice for others' good and to think only of what they could do, and never of what they should get. Many of them have ascended into the shining Lord, and here I am, in mine age, gazing up alone, only waiting till the shadows are a little longer grown. Fifty years. I was a young man, not yet of age, when I delivered my first platform lecture. The Civil War of 1861-65 to 65 drew on with all its passions, patriotisms, horrors, and fears, and I was studying law at Yale University. I had from childhood felt that I was called to the ministry. The earliest event of memory is the prayer of my father at family prayers in the little old cottage in the Hampshire Highlands of the Berkshire Hills, calling on God with a sobbing voice to lead me into some special service for the Savior. It filled me with awe, dread, and fear, and I recoiled from the thought until I determined to fight against it with all my power. So I sought for other professions and for decent excuses for being anything but a preacher. Yet while I was nervous and timid before the class in declamation and dreaded to face any of the audience, I felt in my soul a strange impulsion toward public speaking for which years made me miserable. The war and the public meetings for recruiting soldiers furnished me an outlet for my suppressed sense of duty. And my first lecture was on the lessons of history, 
as applied to the campaigns against the confederacy that matchless temperance orator and loving friend john b Gough introduced me to the little audience in westfield massachusetts in eighteen sixty two what a foolish little schoolboy speech it must have been but mr Gough's kind words of praise the bouquets and the applause made me feel that somehow the way to public oratory would not be so hard as i had feared from that time i acted on mr Gough's advice and sought practice by accepting almost every invitation i received to speak on any kind of subject there were many sad failures and tears but it was a restful compromise with my conscience concerning the ministry and it pleased my friends i addressed picnics sunday schools patriotic meetings funerals anniversaries commencements debates cattle shows and sewing circles without partiality and without price for the first five years the income was all experience then voluntary gifts began to come occasionally in the shape of a jackknife a ham a book and the first cash remuneration was from a farmers club of seventy-five cents toward the horse hire it was a curious fact that one member of the club afterward moved to salt lake city and was a member of the committee at the mormon tabernacle in eighteen sixty two which when i was a correspondent on a journey around the world employed me to lecture on men of the mountains in the mormon tabernacle at a fee of five hundred dollars while i was gaining practice in the first years of platform work i had the good fortune to have profitable employment as a soldier or as a correspondent or lawyer or as an editor or as a preacher which enabled me to pay my own expenses and it is seldomly in the fifty years that i have ever taken a fee for my personal use in the last thirty-six years i have dedicated solemnly all of my lecture income to benevolent enterprises if i am antiquated enough for an autobiography perhaps i may be aged enough to avoid the criticism of being an egoist when i state that some years i have delivered one lecture acres of diamonds over two hundred times each year at an average income of about one hundred and fifty dollars for each lecture it was a remarkable good fortune which came to me as a lecturer when mr james redpath organized the first lecture bureau ever established mr redpath was the biographer of john brown of harper's ferry renown and as mr brown had long been a friend of my father's i found employment while a student on vacation in selling that life of john brown that acquaintance with mr redpath was maintained until mr redpath's death to general charles h taylor with whom i was employed for a time as a reporter for the boston daily traveller i was indebted for the many acts of self-sacrificing friendship which softened my soul as i recall them he did me the greatest kindness when he suggested my name to mr redpath as one who could fill in the vacancies in the smaller towns where the great lights could not always be secured what a glorious galaxy of great names that original list of redpath lecturers contained henry ward beecher john b Gough, senator charles sumner theodore tilton wendell phillips mrs mary a livermore bayord taylor ralph waldo emerson and many of the great preachers musicians and writers of that remarkable era even dr holmes john whittier henry w longfellow 
John Lathrop Motley, George William Curtis, and General Burnside were persuaded to appear one or more times, although they refused to receive any pay. I cannot forget how ashamed I felt when my name appeared in the shadow of such names, and how sure I was that every acquaintance was ridiculing behind my back. Mr. Bayard Taylor, however, wrote me from the Tribune office a kind note saying he was glad to see me on the road to great usefulness. Governor Claflin of Massachusetts took the time to send me a note of congratulations. General Benjamin F. Butler, however, advised me to stick to the last and be a good lawyer. The work of lecturing was always a task and a duty. I did not feel now that I ever sought to be an entertainer. I am sure I would have been an utter failure, but for the feeling that I must preach some gospel truth in my lectures, and at least that much toward the ever-persistent call of God. When I entered the ministry, 1879, I had become so associated with the lecture platform in America and England that I could not feel justified in abandoning such a great field of usefulness. The experiences of all of our successful lectures are probably nearly alike. The way is not always smooth, but the hard roads, the poor hotels, the late trains, the cold halls, the hot church auditoriums, the overkindness of hospitable committees, the broken hours of sleep are annoyances one soon forgets. And the host of intelligent faces, the messages of thanks, and the efforts of the earnings on the lives of young college men can never cease the daily joy. God bless them all. Often I have been asked if I did not in fifty years of travel in all sorts of conveyance meet with accidents. It is a marvel to me that no such event ever brought me harm. In a continuous period over twenty-seven years I delivered about two lectures in every three days. Yet I did not miss a single engagement. Sometimes I had to hire a special train, but I reached the town on time with only a rare exception, and then I was but a few minutes late. Accidents have preceded and followed me on trains and boats, and were sometimes in sight, but I was preserved without injury through all the years. In the Johnstown flood region I saw a bridge go out behind our train. I was once on a derelict steamer in the Atlantic for twenty-six days, and another time a man was killed in the berth of a sleeper I had left a half hour before. Often I have felt the train leave the track, but no one was killed. Robbers have several times threatened my life, but all came without loss to me. God and man have never been patient with me. Yet this period of lecturing has been, after all, a side issue. The temple and its church in Philadelphia, which, when its membership was less than 3,000 members, for so many years contributed through its membership over $60,000 a year for the uplift of humanity, has made a life of continual surprise, while the Samaritan Hospital's amazing growth and the Garretons Hospital's dispensaries have been so continually ministering to the sick and poor and have done such skillful work for the tens of thousands who ask for their help each year that I have been made happy while away lecturing by the feeling that each hour and minute they are faithfully doing good. Temple University, which was founded only 27 years ago, 
has already sent out into the higher income and nobler life nearly a hundred thousand young men and women who could not possibly have obtained an education in any other institution the faithful self-sacrificing faculty now numbering two hundred and fifty-three professors have done the real work for i can claim but little credit and i mention the university here only to show that my fifty years on the lecture platform has necessarily been a sideline of work my best-known lecture acres of diamonds was a mere accidental address first given before a reunion of my old comrades at the fifty-sixth massachusetts regiment which served in the civil war and which i was captain i had no thought of giving the address again and even after it began to be called for by lecture committees i did not dream that i should live to deliver it now as i have done almost five thousand times what is the secret of its popularity i could never explain to myself or others i simply know that i always attempt to enthuse myself on each occasion and the idea that it is a special opportunity to do good and i interest myself in each community and apply the general principles with local illustrations the hands which now holds this pen must in the natural course of events soon cease to gesture on the platform and it is a sincere and prayerful hope that this book will go on into the years increasing the good for the aid of my brothers and sisters in the human family russell h conwell south worthingham massachusetts september first nineteen thirteen footnote one this is the most recent and complete form of the lecture it happened to be delivered in philadelphia dr conwell's home city when he says right here in philadelphia he means the home city town village of every reader of this book just as he would use the name of it when delivering the lecture there instead of going through the pages which follow footnote two dr conwell was living and actively at work when these pages were written it is therefore a much truer picture of his personality than anything written in the past tense footnote three this interview took place at the old conwell farm in the summer of nineteen fifteen end of part thirteen end of acres of diamonds